The Once and Future Nerd is independently produced. If you're enjoying the show and would like to support us, visit onceandfuturenerd.com support to find out how you can help. Listening to this show on an iOS device? Leave us a rating on iTunes, please. The Once and Future Nerd Book One, Princes of Jordan Chapter Six The Singing Sister Episode Three Arlene lay in her bed, staring at the ceiling. The first rays of the new morning revealed bags of sleeplessness under her eyes. There was a knock on her door. Who's there? Arlene. It's Rickard. She went white. I mean you no harm. I just wish to speak with you. I don't wish to speak with you. She climbed out of bed and clung to the wall farthest from her door. I'll stay near to the door. You may stand as far away as you like. Shaking, she picked up a brooch from her night table and hid it behind her back. I'm going to open the door now. How are you feeling? Arlene stared at him, incredulous at the question. I mean, after the accident the other night. Get out before I scream. I request only a moment of audience. I swear on my life. No, shh, please, lest your brother hear. That accident freed me from the stain of your crime. I'll die before I'm sullied again by the likes of you. I come in peace and contrition. I please hear. Die. She lifted the brooch and held the pin against her throat. Come now, my lady, don't be ridiculous. Some chivalrous instinct drove him a few steps towards her. In desperation, she pushed the pin up. (laughs) Reflexes stayed Arlene's hand as Rickard rushed towards her. But as he neared, she turned the pin on him. He got his hands up just in time to save his own sight. At last, he managed to grab her hand and wrench the brooch free. But she used her free hand to besiege his face. Get out, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out! Amid the flurry of blows, Rickard got on his knees, took out his dagger, and placed it against his own throat with the hilt facing his cousin. Take it. Kill me if you wish. Trembling, she tentatively took hold of the knife. I am vulnerable, and at your mercy, my lady, please hear me out. Tears mixing with blood on the cleft of Arlene's shoulder, she narrowed her eyes and grazed the blade against Rickard's throat. He flinched, but did not run, as a small trickle of blood ran down his own neck. Speak, then, if you must. Where do you think he got the idea to orchestrate that little accident? She tightened her grip and took several sharp, furious breaths, but then withdrew the knife and reeled back her hand. You had no right to tell him. You said yourself... It freed you from the stains of the past. And how exactly did you know Lord Mooncrest would respond as he did? Knowing what I did about the man, I thought it a safe assumption. Safe? Yes. It was very safe for you, gambling with my honor. If you knew Antonin Mooncrest, you'd know he was more likely to have me beheaded or castrated on the spot than he was to besmirch you. Maybe so. 
But I still had a right to know before you did that. Yes. Yes, you did. But I couldn't risk being seen consorting with you beforehand. So I wronged you once again in order to make things right. Right? Have you any idea what I had to suffer at my brother's hand lest he tell anyone what you did to me? How many insults and injustices which can never be undone. And now you come here, days before my wedding, tell my betrothed to throw me off a horse, and you have the gall to say you've made things right? That was the wrong way to say it. I only meant that my actions should be interpreted as my deepest and most abject apology, knowing as I do that mere words of contrition would be trivial in the face of your suffering. I didn't ask for your apology, and I sure as Selburn will not feign forgiveness to ease your conscience. I didn't ask for forgiveness, nor do I deserve it. I only ask that you not think of me as a monster. What I think is mine to decide. It's the only thing that is. And if you wanted me to think kindly of you, perhaps you could have kept your God's damned breeches laced and not used me like some army page boy uses a pillow with a split seam. I was hardly more than a boy myself. And what was I? You know how Ardell is, how he can make you feel. I was dumb with drink myself, but I'll never forget the way he said, you want to be a man, don't you? You don't know what it's like for a boy. A boy who never becomes a man is worthless. He might as well be a... A girl? <laughs> Even worse, a girl without her virginity. Nothing is worth less. No man can change the past. Only make the best of the future. Very well. I don't think you a monster. I think you a sad, broken boy who broke me as well. If you want to make the best of the future, get out of my life this instant and never return. My lady, he nodded and was gone. Arlene dropped the knife and sobbed. <laughs> Some days which come to be important start like any other. Others, you can feel the minute you wake. I was invited to Blackhold for the promotion ceremony of then Colonel Traft. But before they presented him, I had time to fraternize with the esteemed commanders of the four Civic Guard strongholds. Lord Robert Greenhorn, esteemed commander of Summerhold. Ivan, son of Morris of Seahold. Bryce Riverfell of Freehold. And of course, Dylan Kerr of Blackhold. This was 16 years ago. I remember because it was only a few weeks after Prince Uther was killed. Peace will be his rest. We were all very sorry to hear about His Highness Brennan. The loss of the prince still cut deep with all those faithful to the crown, and Ivan was already a few cups deep. Here's to Prince Uther. Everyone drank to that. If it would help, 
I can dispatch a few men to Brimshire to aid with the investigation. Thank you, General, but that one of Wait! Prince Uther was slain near Brimshire? General, have your dreams continued? In the wagon, Brennan shook his head as if hoping to clear the fog of fever. No, but I haven't slept since we parted ways in that cave. Dreams? There's been more dreams? Like... Prophecy dreams? My father used to say anyone who says they're certain they've heard the voice of God is either a prophet or a madman. Either way, watch them well. Which is to say I hesitate to use the word prophecy, but the details have become too uncanny to ignore entirely. I have dreamt the last two nights and seen the same young girl you described, Brennan. But you only saw the girl after he described her. What does this have to do with the Brimsha? The night we spent in the monastery, the girl in my dream said, the blind man has seen the face of God. Keltir, that's why I talked with that poor man. You encountered a blind beggar on the streets of Armstrong God. Hardly a miracle. He was from Brimshire. He says he saw the prince murdered and believed Galadian did it. Star, no one saw the prince's murder except the murderers. My men and I interviewed damn near half the kingdom in our investigation. Above all else, the man seemed terrified he would be accused. You can understand that, can't you? Perhaps he went into hiding. More importantly, that Garadian killed the prince is obviously a madman's raving. Not if one believes in avatars. You've now crossed from foolish speculation into blasphemy. I'm not saying I believe it. Well, I, I used to believe in Avatar until Shyamalan ruined the movie and the sequel sucked. Sometimes a scholar puts forward a proposition, maybe even a distasteful one, without judgment, just to see how it holds up to new information received. Hypothesis. God bless you, babe. We call this a provisional assertion. And the process of following a road of thought to its end, even if it ends in falsehoods or absurdities, often sets us on the path of truth. Hey! Regan struck Brennan in the forehead, jolting him awake. You didn't finish your story, asshole. Yeah, no offense, but we can get back on the path of truth later. I hear elven wine is a good shortcut. Uh, where did I leave off? The, the other generals, they're all sorry about the prince. Ah, yes. Anyway, after the proper condolences were expressed, it was time to meet Traft. They were grooming him then to take over as esteemed commander of Blackwood. Who was grooming him? Taid Rilotit, Lord Commander of the Talo Hill. The Knights of the Wood wanted to prove that with the right training and discipline, even a half-orc could become a servant of the realm. An unfortunate miscalculation. It was benevolent of them to try. Dangerous bit of hubris, if you'd ask me. But no one did. And even rash as I was then, I knew enough not to speak to Taeen real teat and I've spoken to. <laughs> real teat? So, this real titty guy, what is he, like, the ultimate hard-ass? The first day of her command, she rode 15 knights into an orc hive of over 300. This hive had recently raided a nearby human village and she'd been ordered to carry out justice. So when she arrived, she ordered that all warriors should surrender and report for execution. 20 to one, ballsy. Admittedly, only around 75 of that 300 were warriors of Warren age, but Orklings as young as seven or eight years have been known to take up arms. Still five to one, how'd you win the battle? There was no battle. All 75 came quietly. They'd heard stories of the High Commander's prowess and decided it was easier that way. The Tarlo Heel are the single greatest fighting force in Jordan. Bar none. Aye, 
and tied reload teeth may be the most formidable warrior alive. And I would never say that lightly. So you can understand my shock when she returned to Blackwood that next morning, bloodied and without horse. As Brennan continued to regale the party, Antonin Mooncrest was working on a story of his own. It was this he discussed in his army's command tent outside the walls of Castle Guernatal, with the troop of stage players hired for the prenuptial festivities. So, you're to perform this evening? Yes, my lord. The comedy of the orc wife and the tragedy of Princess Rhiannon. Antonin nodded to one of his men, who handed out scrolls to the players. You will perform this instead. My lord? Instead of the plays you prepared, you will perform this one for the court. Uh -huh. With respect, my lord, I'm not sure you understand what it is we players of the theater do. It isn't rote recitation. A play takes time and thought to prepare. You can't just hand us a manuscript we've never seen before and expect us to perform it in the same evening. Well, it needn't be perfect. Beg your pardon, my lord, but aside from the pride we take in our work, we've our reputation as a company to consider. That's all we have to trade on. I know this isn't your trade, my lord, but no playwright would think your request reasonable. I'll pay you tenfold what Redmore is paying. Well, let's see what we have here. Have you read this? Of course. I conceived of it and dictated it to my scribes. This implies the Lord Regent had his sister raped and the High King murdered. And if your performance is decent, I'll catch the conscience of the Lord Regent. Oh, God, that line is terrible. You're not inspiring much faith in your skills as a playwright. I needn't be praised for my verse, only to rouse Lord Redmore to rash action, so that I may see if my suspicions are founded. Yes, I think it will rouse him. And I think his rash action will be to behead the players who just called him a murdering, usurping, rape conspirator. How exactly is this plan supposed to end well for me? What if, at the end of your performance, you simply recited a sonnet? No sonnets. What if someone else wrote the sonnet? Fuck everything about sonnets. Shut up, Edward, and mind your tongue around nobility. Forgive my man's manners, my lord. <laughs> But if you want to call out Ardell Redmore, you'll have to do it yourself. All the while, Ardell Redmore broke his fast alone in the great hall of Castle Guernatal. He was picking through far too much food for any one man to eat, when his sister strode in, walking with purpose. He sneered at her. This is a pleasant surprise. To what do I owe it? Where is my handmaiden? I'm sorry, I don't know to whom you're referring. My handmaiden, Gwen. The one I've had for the last ten years. Oh, you mean the baseball twat who used to follow you around like a sick dog? I'd forgotten all about her. Where is she and when can I see her? Shouldn't you be in bed recovering from your accident? I'll go nowhere until you tell me where she is. Our investigation of her is ongoing. Now run along. Damn you, Ardell. Oh, hush now. I will not be silent! Ardell had to recover from his shock before he could turn to anger. How about I return her to you one piece at a time for the next year? I swear if you harm one hair on her head. <laughs> what? 
What will happen if I harm her? I will blame myself, as you've trained me to do, and loathe myself more wholly than I ever have before. You will finally succeed in breaking my spirit completely. And then, then you shall need to fear me. Can you even fathom what a woman with nothing to lose is capable of? See if I don't burn down the tabernacle and dance laughing in the ashes. See if I don't fuck every man in the army until Mooncrest leaves in shame. See if I don't open my wrists at my own wedding feast. Try keeping this counterfeit peace with Antonin Mooncrest as you wash his betrothed's blood off of his finest clothes. So tell me, brother, do you really wish to reap all that you've sown? Ardell searched his sister's face for any sign of weakness. He found none. Who told him? Pardon? I thought we were past coyness. I know your little accident was nothing of the sort, but I also know it wasn't your idea. So tell me who gave Mooncrest the idea, and you can have your pet back in no more wretched estate than you last saw her. Arlene deliberated, as one often does when given a choice that isn't. Thus did Ardell come to pay an unexpected visit to his cousin Rickard, as Rickard wrote alone in the small room of Castle Guernatal in which he had been staying. Cousin, how do you fare? Poorly. It broke my heart to hear... Whatever you mean, I'm sure there's an explanation. Several of Ardell's men charged in and seized Rickard. You've been speaking obscene and repugnant slanders against my sister. I've done nothing of the sort. Antonin Mooncrest says you've been bragging of how my sister gave her maidenhood to you ten years ago. Rickard's eyes widened with terror as he realized that, yes, his cousin would stoop that low. You were there, you son I've of a whore! had enough of your lies. You've gone far out of line and must be punished. Like an unruly hound. Guards! Rickard remembered the man-at-arms coming forward with tongs and a red-hot knife, and then nothing. The next thing he could recall... He was screaming formlessly into a pillow and missing his tongue. For additional information and bonus content, access onceandfuturenerd.com on your computer machine. New episodes are released every other Sunday. The Once and Future Nerd is written and created by Zach Glass and Christian Madeira, and directed and edited by Christian Madeira. It is performed by Rhiannon Angel, Garrett Armin, Dan Dobransky, Lily Drexler, Hayes Dunlop, Anya Gibeon, Ian Harkins, Paul Notice, Frank Querez, and Julie Reed. It is co-executive produced by Jess Kelly. Alex Story is an associate producer. The Once and Future Nerd is recorded by Brian Forbes at the Gallery Recording Studio in Brooklyn, New York, 
with second unit production sound by Gary O'Keefe. Foley sound design and mixing is done by Sandra Ramirez. Theme music is composed by Tom Lee. Thanks for downloading.